0: Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What we just sang is what you'll see as the message of the book of Jonah. So one of the minor prophets that is short, small, one of the 12, last 12 of the Old Testament, and just so that you keep getting it in your head a little bit, to show you where we are in the Bible Creation, fall, sin enters the world, Genesis 3, and then there's a long time for God's redeeming story, redemption story to unfold. As He promises a Savior, it takes thousands and thousands of years for God's redemption of His people through Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, on and on, uh, Moses, all the way to Jesus. There's a lot of Bible before you get to Jesus, about that much. So, A lot of it is the Old Testament, we say, of God still showing His compassion and grace and mercy, loving and saving His people. So where are we? In that, we are in the Minor Prophets, that is 800 to 400 B.C. So David is the gold, if you can see that, 1,000 B.C. we did that in Lent, and then kingdom splits after Solomon, and then there's Israel and Judah, northern and southern kingdom, and takes us from about 930 B.C. all the way almost to about 300, 400 B.C. So we're in that area, and there's kings and prophets. God is sending prophets to call his people back. When leaders and kings and people go astray from God, he sends prophets to be his mouthpiece, to call them to repent, because God wants to show mercy to his people. And he wants his people back, and he wants to have a living relationship with them and for them to follow him and do his will, and him to show them his love and mercy. Most prophets are sent to God's people, but a few are sent elsewhere, which also shows God's heart for not just his people, but the whole world. So that's why we've been in Jonah first. Jonah is sent as the prophet to Nineveh around 790 BC, and he shows God's mercy and love for everyone. You can't say the God of the Old Testament only cares about his people and everyone else he doesn't care. That is not true. Through his own people, the whole world was supposed to come to know who God is. Isaiah talks about God wanting his temple to be a house of prayer for all nations, all people. And so Jonah is sent to Nineveh to call them to repent. That is, come to know the true God and stop in your... They were a very violent and oppressive people to all the people, the nations they took over. And so when God calls Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because I love them too, Jonah says... No, he goes the other way, gets on a boat, and goes as far away as he can, but you can't run from God. That's some of the first jokes in the book of Jonah. So the storm comes, and eventually Jonah gets thrown out by his own, hey, do this. He's still trying to die and run from God, and then he gets swallowed up by a giant fish or whale, and then he finally prays and says, all right, God, fine, I'll do it. And then God has the giant fish barf him up onto the land, and then he finally goes And he gets to Nineveh and he preaches them a five-word sermon that's not very good and leaves out a bunch of stuff like God's love and God. and So he just says, you know, turn away or you'll be uh, destroyed. And they do. The Ninevites repent and come to, to know God and they want to. And so that's where we pick up the story. Last week we talked about just be faithful and leave the results to God. Like Jonah was called to, to just go speak God's word. Just do that. Whatever God is calling you to do, just do it and don't worry about whether, how it ends up. So we pick up this story there at chapter 3, 6, which we read. It says, When Jonah's warning reached the king, so the first the people hear it, they repent, and then it gets all the way up to the king. He rose from his throne, took off his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, like Ash Wednesday, sign of repentance sackcloth and ashes, the king is repenting. This is the proclamation that he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, that's weird, herds or flocks, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth, let everyone call urgently on God. Why would you have animals repent? The answer is kind of simple because remember, Jonah is a funny book, a lot of comedy, a lot of satire. It's not just people that are repenting. You have repentant cows, you have repentant sheep, you have repentant goats. Is that possible? I don't know, maybe. But you also see that everyone in the book of Jonah is changed by God except one person. Remember the sailors, the crusty hardened sailors, they come to faith by Jonah sort of backhandedly telling them, they come to faith. Jonah finally goes to to Nineveh and the first thing he says, the people come to faith and and they repent and then it gets up to the king and he repents and the king declares that everybody, even the animals are repentant here. So that's kind of the the satire of this story. Even the animals are repentant, everybody is changed except one person yes except jonah king continues let them give up their evil ways and their violence who knows god may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish when god speaks like this sometimes we get a little unnerved so let me say a word about this and then the next things that, uh, the, that the next verses god is against evil always. That should be a comfort to us. When we say God is just, that means God is always against It's not that he's moody and in a bad mood one day, in a good mood. No, God is always against evil. God is always against violence against women. God is always against oppression. God wants terrorism to end. God wants corruption to end. God wants adultery to end. God wants injustice to end. God wants racism to end. God is against evil. And so where it is, God has a settled disposition of caring for people, caring for His people, wanting people to know. And so God is against those things. So when we do those things and do evil and sin, God is against that. And so that's why God's law to us can be threatening because it's, it's us that need to repent and be forgiven. So the king knows it. He knows this about their people, and he's repenting. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So God saw it and said, Okay, no, I, I, they repented. I will have compassion and mercy. Good, this worked. This is what I wanted. However, this part also makes people feel a little uneasy, and here's why. When God re- There's places in the Bible where it says God relents, which sounds like God changed His mind from something He said He was going to do, which leads people to say, well, if God changes His mind, then is God not all-knowing? That's bad, right? We want God we think God's all-knowing, is not God not all-powerful, not all-knowing. He changes his, or is God moody and fickle and just kind of blows like the wind like we are. This is not good if God changes his mind. So this can be troubling except not. You know this from the New Testament. If there is one word that we say God is, it is what? God is love. That is God's core heart and character. That's what God wants to show. So God is love. God wants to show that. And so when God calls people to repentance, it's because he wants to show love. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show compassion. But God is against evil all the time. God is against violence. And so when God calls them to, to repent, he's saying, look, um, these are the consequences for evil and sin, but I and they're real, but I really want to show I am loving and gracious and, and compassionate. And so when the Ninevites turn God shows, doesn't hesitate to show compassion. So that's what's in God's heart, soul, and core. So even though we hear words of law, of of sin and consequences, God really wants those to turn us towards God. So when God relents, he's acting out of love to show that mercy because his people have repented and changed. All right, let's keep going. People changed, repented, but to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So Jonah prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. you see what's going on now? You get it. This is who God is, and Jonah knows it. So he's mad at God for being God and having compassion on people. And we see Jonah's full colors on display. God, I knew it. I knew you would find a reason to forgive those awful people that I don't want to live, and I want them to see, you know, their judgment coming to them. I knew it, God. I knew that you were loving and kind and forgiving, and I wanted nothing to do with it. See how bad that sounds? <laughs> That's what Jonah's saying. Jonah wants them to be judged, and God says, no, Jonah actually hear that what I bolded that is like the Apostles' Creed or the Creed of the Old Testament. It repeats over and over again. This is what God is like slow, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So then now Joan is done. Lord, you see how dramatic this is, right? Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, Lord, take away my life. He said, it's right for you to be angry. Now Jonah had gone out and, and sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen. He's still hoping maybe they won't repent for very long. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant, made it grow over Jonah to give him shade over his head in the scorching sun to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed up the plant, so it withered When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Poor Jonah. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Like, are we really doing this, Jonah? And Jonah says, yes, we are. Yeah, we are doing this. I am angry about the plant, and I want to die. And then God says, you have been concerned about this plant, And you didn't do anything to make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. Should I not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, you care more about a plant than thousands, tens of thousands of people that don't know me. And then the book ends. That's it. Only one of two Bible books that ends on a question. No answer. No rest of the story. Is Jonah's heart ever changed? We don't know. Jonah's mad at God for being forgiving and merciful. And then Jonah's more concerned about a plant than thousands of people coming to faith in the true God. Are you serious, Jonah? And we're not supposed to just look at Jonah and see how absurd he is supposed to wonder. It doesn't give us the end. We're supposed to put ourselves in there and wonder and look in the mirror. Jonah is a mirror for us. Do you care, do I care about people that do not know the true God? Do you care about the people that you know that don't know this second Jonah, the greater Jonah, Jesus, God's true prophet, and true Savior? Do you care about people that don't believe that Jesus endured the eternal storm for them? Do you want others to come to know this God, or would you and I rather our lives to be comfortable? Do we care more about our creature comforts than the eternity of thousands of people? Or not even thousands of people, just the people in your life around you that you love. Well, here's another way maybe to put it. Another question, similar question to wrestle with, and that is who? Who, like Jonah, do you not want God to show mercy to? Who? Who do you not want God to show mercy to? Who do you not want to sit down at the heavenly banquet with? Who would you not want to hold hands with in heaven? Or what kind of person or what person in your life do you have a Jonah heart towards? Is there someone that you just really kind of prefer God would judge and deal harshly with, not have compassion on? Is there someone that you would be really angry if you had to share heaven with? Or not even heaven, just dinner. Now I know we probably know what the right answer is. Oh no, of course not. God loves everybody, so do I. We can say that. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably not the truth or not the whole truth. There's people we don't like. There's people we don't love. There's people that have hurt us. There's people that we have a very hard time forgiving. Who is someone that you could easily hold a grudge against the rest of your life and feel justified? Because, look, Jonah felt justified. The Ninevites were violent people who did a lot of evil hardship to many of his own people. But who is it for you? You see, when you get to the end of the book of Jonah, you see something very, very clear about Jonah because he's so absurd and so ridiculous. But it's also true about us, and that's what makes us uncomfortable. Here's something you see in the oft-forgotten last chapter of Jonah. Here's what it is. Grudges eat us alive. We think we will enjoy stewing on things or seeing uh, people suffer or get what's coming to them, but it really eats us alive. Jonah would not let it go. He did not want the Ninevites to be spared and saved, and he knew that God was gracious and merciful and forgiving, so he tried to block God from being merciful and gracious by running the other. Would you see how absurd that sounds? God, I don't want you to show kindness to them, so I'm going to do everything I can to go somewhere else, so you can't do that. Do you see how ridiculous Jonah looks? He is so angry that God would love his enemies, the people that he didn't want to be around, didn't respect, didn't, didn't love on any level. And so Jonah is more mad about a plant dying than people dying in their sin. And when we hold crudges, it eats us like the worm that ate Jonah's plant. When we harbor hate towards people or people groups, it eats us, it doesn't eat them. And when we hold grudges, we become satire of what a Christian is supposed to be, and we look as ridiculous as Jonah does. That's not the whole story, it's half of the story. Yes, grudges eat us alive, but grace makes us alive. Grudges eat us alive, but grace makes us alive. Do you see God's heart for the lost Ninevites? who are far from God, violently oppressing others, God loves them too. It doesn't seem fair. God's love isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. God wants them, all people, you and me, to repent and come to God, and His grace is endless for you. And that grace gives life. God's offer of grace made the Ninevites alive. They repent, they believe, they live. And God's grace is given to the sailors And God is still wanting to show his grace to Jonah who just won't have it. You see, God's heart is like that towards you. When you run away from God, God sends his son to run after you and rescue you and bring you back home with his carrying you on his hands that had nails pierced in them for you. That's what God's compassion looks like. When you and I have done evil, God sends his son to die and rise and now ascend for you. And this whole story of the Bible, you might say the whole project of God and people, is about God rescuing and redeeming broken people. Grace makes you alive. Yes, grudges will eat you alive. They will hold you hostage and you will never have the peace that you think you will get from it. They will just fester and ruin you and eat you and you'll look as bad as Jonah. But God's grace will make you alive. Make your heart live and give you the peace of Christ. And when the grace of Jesus makes you alive, your prejudices, your your grudges, they're challenged, they're confronted, and they're also softened, and they're overcome. Because God wants all people to know Him. Yes, your enemies. Yes, you. And yes, me. If you can read it, say it with me. Grudges eat us alive, but grace makes us alive. Now, one time like you really mean it. Grudges eat us alive, but grace makes us alive. And may the peace of Christ that goes beyond all of our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.